Hi, Nini White here with Not Your Normal Social Emotional Learning Podcast. This time, I'd like to talk about consequences. Anyone who spends a few days around young children wonders at some point, how do kids make such crazy and outrageously bad errors in judgment? How is it that they completely miss the inevitability of the terrible outcomes of some of their awful behaviors, especially the ones they keep repeating, right? Just how is it that they do not foresee the consequences of some of their habitual poor poor choices? You know, like the kid on the playground who hasn't developed any patience yet. She's that pushing kid who has to be the first one up the slide or onto the swings. Or, you know, the kid who gives you a heart attack every time you're walking with your group of students on a city street near traffic, and he needs to be reminded over and over to look both ways before leaving the sidewalk. Or what about that child who will rarely share toys or food with other kids? And then he wonders why the other kid started crying or hitting or biting or doing whatever it takes to make that unsharing kid as miserable as she is. <laughs> Sound familiar? Uh, of course it does. And it's exhausting. So consequences. How do we get young kids to think before they act so that everyone's life goes just a little bit more com- smoothly? Well, we know what pretty much doesn't work. Scoldings, timeouts, lectures, shaming, blaming, etc., etc. The thing is, most kids are pretty smart. Smart enough, at least, to not actually have forgotten our instructions and our repeated corrections about their behavior, about their choices, and the consequences of their choices. Once, as a as when I was a young teacher, I realized that fa- that fact about kids' intelligence, I figured there must be something else going on to explain their ongoing poor choices. Then I thought it was pretty clear that all the kids in my class had the same responses to being pushed, to avoiding being hit by a car on a busy street, to getting hurt feelings when another kid wouldn't share with them, to playing fairly and playing by the rules and games of hide-and-seek. Hmm, what if instead of endlessly correcting the behaviors that led to those those kinds of unpleasant consequences, I brought them all together and designed ways for them to preemptively think about and evaluate challenges that they were all familiar with so that they could discover and decide together and for themselves what were better choices for better consequences. What? If. It seemed like a good enough experiment, so I thought about some of the kids' biggest challenges, the challenges that left them the most unhappy when they made choices that resulted in the consequences they would never choose if they actually thought about them ahead of time. Then I wrote down lists of questions that were not, this is important, not directly pointed at correcting those troubling behaviors and choices. Instead, I asked questions that drew upon the kids' own ability to put on their big-picture thinking caps. In other words, 
I got them thinking about all kinds of connections and interactions and causes and effects and elements around a wide range of familiar challenges in totally neutral, completely objective, and entirely non-defensive ways. Eureka! Together, the kids came up with brilliant solutions to all the old familiar challenges, solutions that made perfect sense to them because those solutions were their solutions, not my solutions. Next part of the experiment was to see if their real life, their future real life choices would actually reflect the choices that they'd made in their peer group discussions. Drum roll, please. Yes. The kids were reminding each other about what they had all discussed around pushing, paying attention, being more careful around cars, about different ways to handle situations in which there was only one toy and two kids, all that good stuff. Some of their solutions were far and away better than mine, and therein lay the power of ownership, of identifying and defining problems and solutions in their own terms with their own words, with peers who could best relate to each other's perspective and values and feelings. So much better for them to discover their own best solutions. And so much easier and less exhausting for me to support them in their process of discovery. Kids do understand consequences. And they are capable of making choices that result in happier consequences more and more of the time without constant reminders from us. They just need to, uh, they just need opportunities to consider their own answers to the right kinds of questions. What are the right kinds of questions, you ask? I will get into that in a future episode, I promise. But basically, the right kinds of questions are one of the very best tools teachers have for developing kids' thinking skills by, in the words of Alexandra Trenfor, by showing students where to look, but not telling them what to see. And when groups of students are asked the right kinds of questions, their natural desire to share answers that they all know are right is how they all get on the same page because after answering those right questions they all those right kinds of questions they all know that they all know the same things about feelings about safety about fair play about everything and that changes everything it does there is fascinating brain science that validates this type of approach, which is effective in large part because it is preemptive. In other words, never is this approach, approach introduced in the heat of the moment, nor even soon after any challenging behaviors have occurred. Because what we don't want to do is try to engage the logical parts of kids' brains when their amygdala, that emotional part of their brains, might still be fired up. This approach, which involves the prefrontal cortex, the region of the brain most responsible for logic, self-regulation, and executive fun function skills, and that's the important thing to understand, the brain 
is not fully formed until the early to mid-20s. The, and and the, the brain is the physical foundation of emotional and psychological health and well-being. Exercises like the one I've just described can have as much influence on the brain's structure and wiring as negative, traumatic, or careless experiences if they're repeated often enough. We teachers have a huge responsibility to expose our students as often as possible to experiences that activate and engage children's natural-born instincts to constructively collaborate for all-around positive and satisfying solutions so they can own the decision-making process that will create happier and more positive consequences. Sound good? Do you have questions? Would you like to share your thoughts about these ideas? You probably know by now that we'd love to hear from you. And if nothing else, we would greatly appreciate some likes for this podcast. You know the drill. More likes, more visibility for more teachers to consider these ideas. Okay. So thanks. Till next time. Take care.